Lifetime, the official athletic country club of the Minnesota Vikings, has something for every member of your family. Get your family going today at lifetime.life forward slash kids. My position of choice would be wide receiver, though. Because I think when you look around the league and you look at a Philly and you look at a San Francisco and you go, why was that Brock Purdy so good last year? Because they have so many dudes who can get open and catch the ball and make plays. And San Francisco just kept going back to that well. I'm really interested to see what this Minnesota Vikings team does. One, I really think Josh Oliver is the most unique signing this offseason. What's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Minnesota Vikings podcast presented by Twin Cities Orthopedics. My name is Gabe Henderson. I'm inside the TCO radio studio here in Egan with my man Jay Nelson. Hello. Our special guest, Mr. Matthew Collar. What is up? And on the ones and twos, Mr. DJ Eric Davidson. And we have a special show today simply because we are fresh off the press of Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell's press conference heading into the 2023 NFL draft. And I know a lot of people say that those guys say a lot to say nothing at all, but I feel like we did get a lot of information today heading into the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, Kyler, you were in that room. You were in the the presser room today asking questions, listening in. What, what were some of your key takeaways just heading into two weeks from now. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like some people act like it's some sort of burden that we get to try to read between the lines where I think it's really fun to try to read between the lines of what the GM and coach are saying and be like, oh, did you hear him say that word? Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Does that mean they're picking a quarterback? Like, <laughs> that's part of the entertainment value. Of course, quarterback was at the forefront of this conversation because Kirk Cousins is only under contract for one more year, and if you have a quarterback in that situation without a long-term extension, then you are on that list. And so the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world are mocking you, Hendon Hooker, and left and right, they, they're getting you know connected with the quarterback. So there was a lot to be asked about that. And I, you know, I did think it was interesting that one thing Kevin O'Connell talked about was that ideally, he said, you would want a quarterback to be developing behind Kirk Cousins, but if that's going to happen, then everyone has to be on on the same page. And I mean, I've always, of course, in in theory, been a believer that, look, none of us know what quarterbacks are going to work out. So if you need one, you should just take one if he's a first round prospect and then just go for it. But that's a lot easier for me to say. I mean, you have an entire building. You have a former quarterback who's a head coach. You cannot draft a quarterback if your former quarterback head coach does not buy into that guy. And that if your general manager's analytics and your scouting department don't all get on the same page and say, this is someone we want to make our future quarterback because it means so much to the organization. And once you do it, there's so much scrutiny. I mean, you can draft a Kellen Mond in the third round. Everyone goes, oh, okay, maybe that's a developmental quarterback. You take one in the first round, every broadcast next year showing that guy on the sideline, well, there's Hendon Hooker. He's waiting for next year where he's going to be their quarterback. And uh, you also stake your GM and head coach careers on who you draft a quarterback. So even though I think we all know that it's kind of random who works out and who doesn't, it can be a crapshoot. But if everybody's not on the same page, then if it doesn't work out, it becomes a total disaster for that organization. So I thought that that was valuable perspective. Uh, Also, you know, Kwesi Adafo Mensa talking about year two in the draft. 
I mean, talk about like out of the frying pan into the fire for him last year. You're working for Cleveland, then you're hired here, then you're trading on draft day with the team in the division and just this whirlwind. So now with year two, uh, a lot more people on the same page, understanding the strengths of people in your front office. I think that's an advantage for them. And But I will say, Quasi trying not to say, yeah, we'd love to trade down and get more picks. Uh, like, you know, look, they don't have a lot of picks. And uh, I think us draft simulators or mock drafters would like them to have more picks so we can pretend to take more players. But that is a major storyline here, too. If you're not taking a quarterback... Can you move back, still get the valuable positions? Because I think there are quite a few positions of need and not so much draft capital to work with. And that's what I was thinking, too, was, you know, one of the things that's been talked about, especially in the last week, is the amount of uncertainty now that everyone assumed you'd have top two picks or top three picks. There'd be some quarterbacks in there. What happens if somebody doesn't decide to do that or what it happens uh, at that third pick if it decides to get traded out? There's a whole lot of variables that can happen there. So like you were just talking about, the idea of having all of your ducks in a row and trying to figure out exactly all your scenarios. I know they'll run through as many uh, mock drafts as possible to figure out scenarios of what happens if we get here. But the idea of you know trading back, fans always hate it. <laughs> they always freak <laughs> out. They're like, what are they doing? We're missing out on X, <laughs> Y, and Z. Um, but in like you said, in the scenario where you currently have five picks, that kind of draft capital being able to pick something up. And if you are moving back within the first round, it's usually going to be some sort of decent compensation coming back. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that were to happen. Now, other positions that have been brought up recently were things like wide receivers or edge rushers or whatever. If the Vikings don't stand pat and pick quarterback, is there a position that you think that needs to be addressed or sh- that they most likely will address in this draft? Yeah, see, this is hard because you hire Brian Flores, and I think we all saw the defense play football last year, and we understand that not only is that the case, but also Patrick Peterson's not here, Eric Kendricks is not here, so there are positions that need to be addressed on the defensive side, and I looked back at their drafting on defense, like sort of a how we got here with the defense struggling as much as it did. They've only drafted since 2015 three players in the first or second round on the defensive side. So their whole thing was essentially just taking a bunch of gambles in the mid-rounds and not enough of those paid off, and that's why they had to dip into free agency a lot and try to just patch over holes. So there is a good argument to say that one of the reasons the defense is what it is is because you haven't spent that draft capital. And I know you mentioned like sexy draft picks. The fans are not going to enjoy a cornerback in the first round, but there's a good case for it. They're not going to, especially not a linebacker. There's a little less of a case for that, I think, based on positional value. But would it be insane to take a Drew Sanders who can do a lot of different things, who can rush off the edge and, you know, be versatile in a Brian Flores defense? So you hire this new defensive coordinator with a scouting background. Like there's sort of little evidence there of like maybe that might be a good idea. My position of choice would be wide receiver, though, because I think when you look around the league and you look at a Philly and you look at a San Francisco and you go, why was that Brock Purdy so good last year? (laughs) Because they have so many dudes who can get open and catch the ball and make plays. And San Francisco just kept going back to that. Well, like, do we need Brandon Ayuk? No, but we're drafting him anyway. Do we, you know, right? So and then even with Christian McCaffrey at the time they made the trade, I was like, ah, it's pretty risky. But adding another weapon, especially in the passing game for their quarterbacks. And that's kind of the Kyle Shanahan 49ers ethos is that we can plug people in. And so this is a team that has one of the best human beings playing 
playing football on earth, playing wide receiver. But with Adam Thielen gone, next man up is K.J. Osborne, who's been more of a slot receiver. That's where he's had his success. And then I'm not really sure who next man up after that is. We saw little flashes of Jalen Naylor. I think Jalen Rager will probably stay in a special teams role. And then Brandon Powell, who's more of a special teams guy himself in his background. And I also look at this class and I think about like the how we're talking about, oh, no, there's no Kelvin Johnson. There's yeah. no Julio Jones. But I think in the NFL, if you're contributing, getting open, especially if Justin Jefferson's taking all the attention, making plays, like what would it cost to get a solid number two wide receiver in free agency? 15 million bucks? Yeah. But you can get one at the back end of the first round or the early second round. And we've seen a lot of those guys turn out to be better than their draft projections, including Justin Jefferson, yeah. who was the fifth receiver off the board. Yeah, if we overall. were redrafting that, he would not be fifth off the board. <laughs> so. And you're currently in that similar wheelhouse, like yeah. you just said, with that position for drafting. Um, one of the things, though, with that is uh, Kevin and, and Kweisi, even at different points at the back end of last season, had said, you know, one of the things that they really valued was speed. And I think that's the thing that I keep thinking Explosive. about with all the different moves that that have and have not happened this offseason is the idea of they want speedy, explosive players. And you're talking about a place like San Francisco. You also think about Kansas City or you think about why Miami went and got Tyreek Hill. Same kind of thing. This league, because it's becoming so offense oriented in the way that even the rules are being written, it just feels like the modern game is going to be that speed kind of game. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see those guys try to make those kind of moves to get those kind of people with those kind of attributes. Yeah, that that makes the most sense as far as just getting guys that can make explosive plays, really good playmakers with the ball in their hand. But for fans, the last thing they want right now is for the Vikings to trade all the way back to 32 and then select a guy that, I mean, I think Lewis is going to be a phenomenal player for this Minnesota Vikings team. I'll preface that by saying that. But another safety or another cornerback, at 32, that, that's that's not going to be uh, fun for fans that are going to the U.S. Bank draft party uh, April 27th at 6 p.m. Tickets are on sale at, at Vikings.com right now if you want to go. But at the same time, you, you do have to somewhat make a splash pick with that 23rd overall selection, if not move back to get you know a couple more players. I mean, I've been to drafts where they haven't picked, so I, I remember what those kind of reactions are like, yeah, too, as say, well. I think that that's actually quite possible yeah. Miller Lite, that I guess. all of us are doing our draft shows and everything else, and then we're like, and now the Viking. oh, they've traded to 44, and uh, see you tomorrow night. Um, but And then not in the the, the uh, buck way either of this, we'll see you tomorrow night. This right. is where you're just at U.S. Bank Stadium going, we just need to get people out of the building. Right. Yeah. Say it in a much more sad, <laughs> see you I mean, that was like when they traded uh, the one year they had no second round pick, but they had all the thirds and through the second round are just dying. Like, OK, yeah, and, then this, board, and then this good guy and then this good guy. But, you know, the two interesting things from both of that. I mean, the trade back is not sexy, but also I will give Vikings fans, I think, some credit that they understand that there is value in this. And last year. I think we can look at it at this moment and say, you traded back really far. And do you want to do that again where you trade back that far so you do forego a lot of opportunities for higher level prospects that have chances to become stars? And you mentioned Lewis Seen. I mean, this whole draft class, totally undecided. We do not know. Uh, I think if you're acting like you know already what this draft class is going to be, um, go back and look at just first year's for any draft class, even the 2015 draft class that turned out to be unbelievable. You didn't know that 
Diggs was going to be what he was, Eric Hendricks, Daniel Hunter, I think, had six sacks his first year. You probably saw a little flash, but we really don't know until the second or third year of a draft class. But I think that based on just, you know, process in general, there were some risky things there. Moving back that far, trading with a team in your division, giving your team in a division a really fast wide receiver. Like these things are kind of risky. That scores are you in his first catch in the NFL. Of of course. Uh, Hate to rub rub that in, but. But I also think that we can access draft value charts and things like this and that we know that uh, there's a lot of value in that. Like there's a, there is a, there is a lot of value in getting a solid corner and receiver prospect if that's what they do. And that's going to be better than maybe just picking one guy. And also the receiver and corner classes. I think the difference between someone who's the 23rd best prospect and 40th it might not be that much in this class. I think both of these classes have a lot of strength in that back end of the first and the middle of the second. The one thing I was thinking about, though, you were talking about trying to address some of those and the fans not necessarily being thinking those are sexy picks. I mean, last year, five of your first six picks were defense. And so you had a safety in there, a corner, uh, a linebacker, and then another defensive lineman and another corner. So like you were you saw last year that they were at least trying to address some of those positions and i think they also saw in having a guy like peterson who was an aging veteran who was a starter they're hoping that some of these guys that either were hurt or didn't get a lot of run this past year step up and take some of those leadership roles or those starting roles but even the idea then of grabbing somebody i think one of the things they talked about was the idea of drafting for kind of not necessarily need, but for best player available. They like to have, you know talk about that kind of phrase and buzzword to, to keep themselves flexible. But I think as, as somebody who's looking at this team just in general, um, there were a lot of questions at the end of the year about depth and a lot, uh, different positions. Are there certain plays or certain um, pieces that they could do within the draft and moves that they could make that would help address some of those depth positions? Because when you talk about a guy like Daniil Hunter, the idea was – you know, Brian Robinson was was there as kind of the aging veteran to, to teach him, and Everson was there as well. Um, you have some of those guys that were the leaders to, to get them there versus having to plug in a rookie right away. At the same point this offseason, there were a lot of people in the secondary that left the organization. So where could this team potentially find those picks if you got to the point where you didn't address that early in the draft? Yeah, one of the things that has been hard about analyzing this offseason is that there's things still floating in the air. And that that was addressed or sort of addressed in today's press conference. But I think that by not definitively saying Zadarius Smith and Delvin Cook will be on this team, it certainly leaves the door open for us to continue to speculate about whether they will be. But there hasn't been any pressure. Like, you don't have to do it today. Uh, we've certainly seen Aaron Rodgers drag it out with their trade. So you can wait and wait and see if someone gets desperate in the draft, if you want to make a move like that. But my point just being that some of these things may have to be addressed in free agency with whatever money is created for them because they have the least amount of cap space in the league right now. But if you trade Zedaria Smith, if you trade Delvin Cook, then all of a sudden you have cap space. And if you look at the free agent list, there's guys out there who can help your team, who can create depth. So they in the front office know how they're going to approach that. We do not know. So it's hard to say like, well, they could do it this way or that way. I think it's smart always. It just works out historically, maybe not with Bashad Breeland, but around the league to get that sort of corner who slipped through the cracks, who's kind of cheaper and a veteran to fill out your depth for a one-year contract and maybe it works out or two-year contract. I could see them doing that rather than taking a, a ton of corners in the draft. 
The linebacker position is interesting because it seems like every year this team is taking mid-round corners and none of them have really come to fruition. I think the best depth linebacker was undrafted is Eric Wilson probably yeah. in the last number of years, and we haven't seen it since then. Uh, but th- that's the thing about having five draft picks that's so hard is I think that you can make an argument for about five, six different positions where you could say, you know what, you could really use an extra dude here. You could really use an extra dude there. Wide receiver. I mean, the running back room, if Delvin Cook isn't a part of this, then you have Chandler, Wong Wu. Neither one of them are proven. Madison has never been that that guy who plays 17 games as a starter. So would you want to draft somebody in the fourth round or the third round? Like there, there are so many different scenarios with this team that uh, are really interesting. And I think that until we know what's going to happen with those two big situations, it's much harder to say like where they're going to point their lasers to try to fill out depth. Yeah, and we've we've talked about that in the past. The idea of free agency being there's kind of three phases to it. There's the initial pop where you just hear all the crazy numbers of all the huge names that are getting signed right away. The and then there's period. yeah, and yep. then there's kind of the the second wave of people that are like, oh yeah, these guys are out here, and then they're the next group. And then there's this lull. Until yeah. you get done yep. with the draft. And then mm-hmm. as soon as the draft is done, like you said, all of a sudden teams start saying, where do we need to fill holes? Where can we get some best value that way? And what do we, you know, who's available that they can kind of call their shot financially? And at the same point, you know, teams can look at it and say, I know you might not necessarily have a ton of options at the same point. You would be a great fit for our organization. So this will be kind of that third wave of free agency that will kick in after the draft. Kind of reminds me of like Xavier Woods um, mm-hmm. yep. a couple of years ago. When he we signed him in that third wave, came in really good player, got a big contract in Carolina a couple of years ago. So I, I'm 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 really interested to see what this Minnesota Vikings team does. One free agency. Speaking what Jay just talked about, I, I really think Josh Oliver is the most unique signing this offseason. One because you bring him in as a blocker. So is that Kevin O'Connell saying you're? Okay, we're going to commit to the run a little bit more. You re-signed C.J. Ham. So okay, the run game is going to be really important. But at the same time, you can be flexible with him. You can do more things with him in the past game. But when, when you think of that and you think of the five picks, how, I guess, how realistic do you see the Vikings actually making draft day trades with players already on this roster? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, just to, to circle back to Josh Oliver, I know that since that was the first signing, I saw a lot of like, what? A yeah. blocking tight end is the first <laughs> signing? But I, I think that when you go back and look at tight ends, and this is one thing I've been thinking about a lot, is how teams acquire certain positions. Like we were just talking about veteran corners after the draft. They're always there. And sometimes they're great. And like, I don't know. I don't know how to predict that. Sure. Because from year to year, cornerback play can really go up and down. Another interesting trend is that tight ends, a lot of times when you draft them, you draft them for the next team that signs them after their first contract, (laughs) and that's when they become a good player. And I was having a conversation at the Combine with a prospective tight end um, last year, and he was saying, like, it's the hardest position, or at least other than quarterback, because you're a blocker, you're a receiver, there's so much to master, and a lot of these guys are gigantic dudes. Yes. And so there's so much detail in small spaces and everything. So with Josh Oliver, he was a receiving tight end in college. Like, did they just see something there? Not only that they can use him to improve the run game and maybe to make life difficult, more difficult on personnel. Like, shout out Gary Kubiak. This was yeah. always his thing, right? Yeah. Byron Chamberlain and Shannon Sharp out there. We're going to run two tight ends, two receivers, and hand the ball off to Terrell Davis. So I think that they want to add that extra sort of tool in the bag with Josh Oliver. But it's also interesting that 
like Hawkinson doesn't have an extension yet. So are you kind of looking for somebody that if that doesn't work out? And anyway, I liked it on numerous levels. And I thought that the initial contract that was put out there was not really the contract, yeah. which does happen. Um, but to your point, trades on draft day, I feel like have been a thing that have increased recently. And maybe this is recency bias because what last year there was a couple Hollywood Brown went for a first round pick on yeah. draft night, which was insane. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, like that, we none of us saw that coming, right? They're going to trade a starting wide receiver on draft night, and so I think it is altogether possible that you know if something is percolating with Zadarius Smith or Delvin Cook, that it could come to fruition either on draft day. Or there because you're talking about wanting to get that immediate draft capital. But I also know that front offices do so much work that are you going to go into the front office and be like, yeah, we gave away some of our picks that you guys kind of had your heart set on this or that player on your draft board. Uh, But there has to be something with those guys. They don't have to trade them, but you can't go into a season with a million dollars of cap space. You just can't do that. So something still has to shift around on this team for them to make late acquisitions. And and one of those options could be draft day trades. And besides that, you've also, you know, you've got to sign your rookie draft class. You have to sign your rookie free agents. There's just a whole thing with So yeah, they're, everything lines up at this point that something else is going to have to happen when it comes to that. Um, One thing I was thinking about when you you brought up the whole tight end thing, um, the idea as well, think about a guy like uh, Tyler Conklin. He was a perfect example of that where he, you know, was asked to step in and, and really shined out and then went to the jets. And so those kind of uh, positions, I think, whether it's tight end or even at times you'll see that happen with some uh, secondary guys or even linebackers as well. Same kind of thing where they'll play special teams. They'll look like they're doing well. They get that second contract chance and then all of a sudden they just take off. And so I am curious to see um, as far as who potentially on this team would do that. And, you know, like you guys are just saying, he's a prime candidate to be able to do this. Um, and, And if he has that receiving tight end background, from previous, it's not like you just kind of shut that off. But I, I would be curious to see if um, you'd potentially have run double tight, you know, and then have that ability to go, you know, five wide kind of a thing where it would give you more flexibility within your different sets to try to figure out, is this a run play? Is this pass yeah. pro or is this, you know, all go? So I'm, I'm interested to see how they how they use Josh Oliver, because Josh has a. He has athleticism similar to an Irv Smith Jr., but he's a better blocker than Irv. He's way bigger. After and meeting way, him in person, yeah, right. he is a really big dude. And, yeah. And I'm the biggest Irv Smith Jr. fan. But when you look at just the highlight tape and just availability, just start there, you look at Josh Oliver and say, okay, well, this is a guy that you can do multiple things with. So I'm interested to see what the running back position looks like like this offseason. If that's Dalvin Cook, how does that incorporate uh, Josh Oliver? I remember talking to Quasi uh, earlier this year. And he says, Josh Oliver is going to make Justin Jefferson better. So how does that happen? What are they going yeah. to do there? What is what dynamic of Josh Oliver's game makes this entire offense better? So it, it'll be interesting. But I also do think draft makes all this come to fruition. Yeah, and there's so much around this whole conversation that just is all centralized on how do you make teams pay for it if yeah. they double Justin Jefferson? Because last year, they simply did not do that enough. They didn't do it enough with secondary receivers. They didn't do it enough with the running game. That I think that the Bills game was the last 100-yard rushing game Dalvin Cook had. And if teams are playing in the parking lot because they're afraid of Justin Jefferson, you have to be able to run the Can't football. Exploit it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when, when you look at some of the advanced metrics on their rushing, it was just very poor. I mean, it was one of the worst running games in the league. And so I think what we've seen is 
has them try to address that in in a couple of different ways. But the Josh Oliver uh, pickup, I think, is the biggest one. And then keeping C.J. Ham is another one where you can see them saying, all right, we're going to put two receivers on the field, but we're going to put all these big people too. So you have fewer dudes that can double Justin Jefferson. And maybe you have to bring a safety up to the box because we are plowing your face in with the running game. And now bringing back Alexander Madison's an interesting part of that Fair. as well, because I think that there's always been more there with Alexander Madison, but opportunity has not been. And I, maybe they see it the same way. Uh, if they do decide to move on from Dalvin Cook, that they feel like, Madison, when he does play, has been a really good player for them for years. I remember last year, some people were talking about like, oh, should they they trade him because Ty Chandler had a good preseason? It's like, I don't think you trade good players. <laughs> no, right. You you trade players that you don't want, not players that you want to keep and that are good. So, unless you get a premium, right? Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, unless, right. but even then, like, would you trust a rookie backup who had 15 carries in the preseason to be Delvin's backup in a win now type of year? Probably not. But I, you know, I think that it does make sense if they were to move on from Delvin Cook to bring in one of these like dynamic playmaker running backs in the middle rounds. That uh, I don't think drafting running backs in the first is the greatest idea. Just there's a lot of value issues there. But in the third, in the fourth, I mean, you've seen lots of stars come from the middle rounds. So if you're talking about a backfield of one proven back and then other guys that have explosiveness and histories to suggest they could be your sort of next bell cow back, that's a good way to approach it. And, And I think they need to, I do think that they need to improve that running game to have an elite offense as opposed to just good. The crazy thing about running backs, though, is to think about how much this league has changed in the last 10 to 15 years where the amount of top-end running backs were going first, second round, yes. and now yeah. just the way that the league has changed, how much that's flipped. I, I I remember when Madison got drafted, I was a big fan of his coming out of college, just watching his games. I'm Boise State nut um, just in general, and and part of that was because of watching when you know Boise State beat the uh, Adrian Peterson Oklahoma Sooners but I've paid attention to him since then and when he was there the thing that I loved when he came out of college was he was aggress- he was aggressive and also his athleticism hurdling people and everything oh yes yeah. <laughs> I know coaches you scream at you don't leave your feet but for a guy like that when he makes those kind of plays it's fun it's exciting and it just shows you how much this guy you know loves to play and compete and how athletic he is so I'm hoping that you know, if if he does get to the point here now with the next contract, extra motivated, and when he does get out there, just to be able to utilize that athleticism and, and his excitement to be able to, you know, help this team. For sure. Collar, before we get out of here, what are just realistic expectations for this Minnesota Vikings team leaving the draft? I think that you want to come out of the draft either feeling one of two ways. One, that you have your next franchise quarterback. I mean, that okay. would be ideal. Uh, you know, I don't know. We never know what's going to happen with the quarterbacks. Last year certainly proved that to us, that even if we try to prognosticate through the roof, sometimes somebody that we all had higher on draft boards doesn't end up being taken or somebody surprises us. Like the year Daniel Jones went, what, six overall? I was there and they booed. Yeah, like, the Giants, fan, Giants fans booed. What? Uh, and now they just gave him a gigantic contract. Yeah. And a lot of people still booed. <laughs> a playoff game winner, Daniel right, Jones. True. And, that, and, exactly. and there's so much evidence to suggest that you know, we, we really don't know uh, when it comes to the quarterbacks. So if they were to take a Hendon Hooker or Will Levis or somebody like that, if they love them and they decide that they all got together and said, this is our guy, that's a that's a W that you come out with an idea of who's your quarterback for 2024, knowing the situation with Kirk's contract. I don't know how realistic that is. So 
if you come out with feeling like you have either enhanced what Brian Flores can do and gotten pieces for the defensive future, even if it's lacking a sexiness element. But there are pass rushers as well uh, that could be good choices, knowing that there are guys who are who have unclear futures. Or if you come out saying, we're going to pair Jordan Addison or Quinton Johnston or whoever the guy is with Justin Jefferson, we know who that is. Because right now, and this is not a slight to K.J. Osborne, who had another good season last year, but right now, there isn't a three deep. There's a oh my gosh, one guy, and then there's, oh, this guy's pretty good, and then, I don't really know. So if you come out of it, and there really aren't free agents that are going to change the game there either. So I think that there are multiple different avenues that you could say would be a success for them and would make a lot of sense. There are some that would make way more national headlines than others, uh, but I think that there's a lot of different ways you can do the best you can with the draft capital that you have. My biggest, I guess, off-season loss that we had as far as personnel was uh, Tomlinson and and losing kind of that defensive line anchor that we had had from before. Um, that is something that I am curious to see on draft night. If if something like that gets addressed as well, having somebody that is a you know young proven and you can't hardly say that because they're just coming out of college, but somebody that people are really excited about that can help with that defensive line because I think there were multiple games last year where we looked at it going, man, they're getting two, three, four yards just a push. And so there was already a concern with that position. And now you lose a guy like Tomlinson to Cleveland and you're just hoping, you know, you can find somebody again to jump in and be an anchor like that for the future. Yeah, it's interesting, like how many different arguments you can make and sound like you have a good case. And, And that's another one. I think with this draft in particular, there's like two or three interior rushers. That's what I think has been missing for this team. Like Tomlinson was actually good last year rushing the passer, which yeah. I don't think that they even expected when they signed him. Uh, but he developed that and uh, did a story about that once, about how he <laughs> developed that skill. But they haven't had a Sharif Floyd. They have not had even a Tom Johnson, who's that rotational guy who comes in. And I think that that's been missing for them. And I don't know that Dean Lowry brings that on a top level. I think at his best, he can be pretty good at it. But it is a missing spot. And that's why a lot of this is situational. So if Kalijah Cansey from Pitt, who is undersized but has incredible athleticism and a great track record, if he's there and they take him, like, well, you can't argue with that. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, yeah. there's a lot of different ways that they can go where you would say, like, oh, okay, well, that guy, then that's the type of prospect that you want to take. But I agree with you that that interior defensive line, uh, again, Dean Lowry, a good player. He's harassed the Vikings in the past. Delvin Tomlinson, you saw what he got paid. Like, yeah. there's a lot of respect for him in the league, and that is a big loss. He had seven knockdowns in 12 games last year. So that, that kind of – Quarterback knockdown. So, I mean, yeah. he's getting to the quarterback. And for me, it was when he did get paid, you're like, I can't be mad at you because, you know, yeah, that was one of those player. things. Yep. You saw the numbers and you're just like, you know, he earned every penny of that thing and we good for him it. to be able to get it. Um, the one question I do have for you, though, is uh, somewhat putting you on the spot of, is there a player that is a kind of Aaron Rodgers style that is somebody that could possibly be a top five-ish pick or something that might drop to the back end of that mm. first round that you think – could be there for the Vikings. Yeah, I I mean, are we talking quarterback or just like anything? Any, anybody, like, is there anyone that yeah. you, you know, everyone is hyping up like all of the quarterbacks right. and, and even, you know, top end pass rusher type people. Is there anyone that you really think at this point that might just sink to that 20s and, and uh, low 30s positions that you go, man, that would be a steal for the Vikings? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's the right steal for the Vikings, but I think the guys who are the biggest candidates to drop are Will Levis and Jalen Carter. 
Jalen Carter's off-field stuff is very, very concerning. Yeah. And then you watch him and you're like, well, he was unbelievable at football. So you kind of like, <laughs> well, what what is, you know, how that do you balance? balance yeah, yeah. How do you balance all that stuff? But if he drops to 23, like, are you saying, well, okay, we got to take him. Or are you saying he drops so far with that talent that you don't want to take him? Uh, Will Levis, I mean, he could be like a Christian Hackenberg or something where this the – Sort of the outside world thought, well, look at this arm strength and everything else. But the NFL was a little less high on him. I mean, even Malik Willis last year, you're, we're seeing the mock drafters. I'm sorry about this, Gabe, but the, it's okay. uh, the, it's mock, okay. the mock drafters, <laughs> I feel attacked right now. they were they were just blow, blowing up <laughs> yeah. with, you know, the Lions should take him at two yeah, and it's all like this two stuff. Two to fourth round. Right. I've never seen a, that big of a gap <laughs> yes. ever. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, but I think as far as the Vikings go, where they could potentially take advantage, I think is the cornerback group. Because there are three or even four guys who are kind of projected in that top area, and usually they don't get that many taken like that. So if it's a Joey Porter Jr. or something, he's being projected top five, top ten, but you also have Christian Gonzalez, you also have Witherspoon, like, okay, we got too many guys here to all be taken in this area, so if one drops... You could be talking about getting like a good, a really good prospect that maybe is better than where he's taken. Is there any feeling that a Anthony Richardson turns oh into gosh. the Malik Willis from this draft? I don't think there's a comparison there. I really don't. Did, I, did I, know guys, they're I, I know they're just different so. statues no, no, and everything. I by both of you guys. Still, now you're good. Now you're no, good. I, my whole thought on that, though, is, I mean, he is the guy that, in my opinion, has risen the most given all yeah. of the offseason stuff workouts combine everything like he has skyrocketed right to that top end of the draft at this point yeah. he's a guy that i'm curious to see like does that fit the bill or is this the hype train going on no, Go i'm oh sorry i'm i'm completely buying that anthony richardson is like a truly elite prospect yeah. over the last like 10 years yeah um, i don't i don't think we've seen a quarterback like him since what cam newton maybe really i mean Just if a, you look at like there are objective ways to look at the combine performances but relative athletic scores is yeah. one that i look at all the time Cam Newton was a hundredth percentile, yeah, and yeah. so is Anthony Richardson. Yeah. And there's like almost nobody else who really even enters that ballpark. The other thing too is interesting about Richardson. It's very different about uh, him versus Malik Willis. Well, one playing experience. I mean, think about that. Like Lamar Jackson was not good in his first year starting, but then he started two more college years and developed. And Anthony Richardson has started one year. He was also a tremendous deep passer, which matters a lot. Yeah. And he didn't take sacks. And that's one of the crazy things that you know this about Malik Willis. Took sacks all, all, the, all time. the time. I think it matters a lot to NFL teams how a guy hits the back foot, gets rid of the ball. And he was actually very good at getting rid of the ball. Uh, I thought that his leadership at Florida, like that program was kind of in the tank and he made them more relevant. They didn't have a great team around him. Like there's a lot of things that I'm buying about Anthony Richardson that maybe were there, but we overlooked them about Malik sure, yeah. Willis. You know what I mean? So yeah, but would anything in the draft truly surprise us? Like well, never. No. Well, last year's quarterback <laughs> draft was not as strong as this year. Oh, not even close. So the fact yeah. that we have a strong quarterback draft and you're still men- mentioning Anthony Richardson, that that kind of says a lot about the value that he will probably bring a team in year one. I'm done being shocked about anything in the draft <laughs> with two words, Laramie Tunsil. Like yeah, anything great. can Fast happen. Ball, Ooh, yeah. Just saying anything can happen on draft night, and I think yeah. that's why people love it so much. Yeah. Well, whether you are in Kansas City on April 27th, you can be right here at U.S. Bank Stadium because the Vikings are having a watch party at 6 p.m., and it's going to be a lot of fun things going on. There's going to be a Vikings player photo session. There's going to be locker room tours. Mystic Lake Blackjack, a live DJ, so many other fan experiences for people that are going to be there. So uh, go to Vikings.com slash 
U.S. Bank draft party and get your tickets because it will be a heck of a show. And today was a heck of a show with my guy, Matthew Collar. Uh, never a dull moment with you. Appreciate your time today. Go follow him right now on Twitter at Matthew Collar. Uh, just M-A-T-T-H-E-W-C-O-L-L-E-R. Or uh, you can follow Purple Insider on Twitter as well. Love it. Jay Nelson, always a pleasure, man. Glad to be back. This is my first podcast in a while, so glad to be back in the podcast room with you. Glad to have you back, and thank you both. It was a great show. Thanks for having me, guys. Woo!